Hello everyone and welcome to the Mimetic Exegete Podcast. I'm your host, Simon Skidmore. In this series, we have been investigating the book of Judges, which bridges the gap between Israel's conquest of Canaan and the genesis of the patriarchy in the book of Samuel. The book recounts various episodes of Israel's infidelity leading to oppression, repentance, and then deliverance. Although the book looks forward to a Davidic king who will one day save and rule over Israel, some of the heroes of the book of Judges don't quite fit that mould. In the last episode, we met Ehud, a left-handed Benjamite metalsmith who unites the nation and inspires a revival when he repents from his own personal idolatry. We also saw Shamgar, the non-Yahwistic foreigner who delivers Israel from their Philistine oppressors by slaying 600 men with a farming implement. As we read on, we shall see yet another judge who defies our expectations. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harashif Hagayim. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel with cruelty for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking ten thousand from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said to him, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels and Deborah went with them. The cycle continues when Ehud dies and Israel fall into idolatry yet again. As the people are seduced by their own mimetic desire, they are drawn into conflict with Jabin, the powerful Canaanite king backed by Sisera and his army of 900 iron chariots. The mimetic exchange between these two groups sees Israel overcome and oppressed by Jabin for 20 years. Throughout this time, we're told that Israel was ruled by Deborah, who performed the duties under her own palm tree between the sacred shrines of Ramah and Bethel. Throughout scripture, the palm tree functions as a sign of fruitfulness and prosperity. While the rest of her compatriots groan under the cruel oppression of King Jabin, Deborah cashes in by exploiting her role as a prophetess to gain wealth and power. By these means, Deborah ascends the social patriarchal structure of ancient Israel to become the ruler and lord over her people. 
Unsatisfied with her role and prosperity, Deborah sets her desire upon the political power of Javan, which draws her into mimetic rivalry with him. Barak, the son of Abinoam, imitates Deborah by also setting his desire on the same desired object, victory over Jabin, the king of Canaan. Deborah then manipulates Barak's desire to gain glory for herself and promises that Sisera will be delivered into his hand. Believing he can do nothing without the prophetess's empowerment, Barak agrees to fight Sisera, but only on the condition that Deborah accompanies him to do so as she has promised. Deborah agrees to his conditions, but declares that the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Deborah's response to Barak suggests that she views him as a potential rival, an obstacle to her desired object of glory and power. Her prophetic declaration could be paraphrased as, sure, I will empower you and lead you to victory, but don't you think for one second that you're going to get the credit. A woman will kill Sisera and claim the glory for herself. In other words, Deborah desires the glory of victory and sees Barak as a potential obstacle to this desire. She fears that Barak and his army will go on and defeat Jabin and Sisera, and they will be lauded and glorified as the true heroes instead of her. Reading on now from verse 11. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites the descendants of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent far away as the oak Zananim, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him from Harashef Hagaim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. The Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot. And Barak pursued the chariots and the enemy to Harasheth Hagayim. And all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not one person was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Canaanite, for there was peace between Jabin and the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Canaanite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera, and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And she said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. And so he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you are seeking. So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead, with a tent peg through his temple. 
So on that day the Lord subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. The Lord delivers Israel the victory, and Sisera flees on foot. Exhausted, parched, and hungry, Sisera manages to find his way to the tent of Heber, the Kenite, one of his supposed allies. Heber's wife, Jael, offers hospitality to Sisera, urging him to seek refuge inside her tent. Pretending to conceal him from his pursuers, Jael covers Sisera with something. The exact identification of the object here is uncertain, but the word translated as rug in this passage may be related to the Hebrew verb to uphold and sustain. Jael conceals Sisera within her tent to sustain his life, protecting him from his enemies. When Sisera asks for water because he is thirsty, Jael continues her ruse and she lulls him into a false sense of security by giving him milk to drink. As Jael watches the door of the tent, Sisera falls asleep. Sensing her moment, Jael violently kills Sisera by smashing a tent peg through his skull. This passage continues the theme of deliverance from unexpected places as a foreign woman assists the Israelites to overcome their enemies by betraying and killing her own ally. As readers, we might have reasonably expected Barak and his army to kill Sisera until Deborah the prophetess declares that Sisera will be executed by a woman. At this point in the narrative, we realize that Deborah intends to claim the glory of victory for herself, and we expect Sisera's death to come at her hand. However, she drops out of the narrative. We are told that Deborah accompanies Barak to Kadesh, and that's the last we hear from her. What happened to Deborah? Did she die in the heat of battle, or perhaps Barak killed her in an attempt to wrest the glory and honor of victory from her grasp? It's also striking that as Israel's only female judge, Deborah doesn't do the killing herself. Why is that? Is it because such violence goes beyond the expected gender roles of a pious Israelite woman prophetess? Maybe. And for this reason, the writer imports a female substitute, Jael, to do Deborah's dirty work for her. As a foreign female, Jael carries out these gruesome violent acts without doing violence to the author's stereotype of what a demure, gentle, gracious Israelite woman should look like. Having all the gruesome violence of the conflict projected upon her, Jael becomes a kind of literary scapegoat of such. She is blamed for all the violence so that Deborah can keep her hands clean. In any case, Barak's pursuit of glory fails when Sisera escapes the battlefield only to be slain in a most inglorious manner, in his sleep by one of his own female allies. Neither Deborah nor Barak manage to apprehend their shared mimetic idol of victory and honour. Both of them fade from view as the god of mimetic violence is glorified through Jabin's demise, as Israel band together and vent their mimetic violence upon him until he is utterly destroyed. Chapter 5 tells the same story, but this time from Deborah and Barak's perspective. Then sang Deborah and Barak, the son of Adabanoam, on that day, 
The leaders took the lead in Israel that the people offered themselves willingly. Bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes, to the Lord. I will sing, I will make melody to the Lord, the God of Israel. O Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the reed of Eden, the earth trembled, the heavens dropped, yes, the clouds dropped water. The mountains quaked before the Lord, even Sinai before the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were abandoned and the travellers kept to the byways. The villages ceased in Israel. They ceased to be until I arose. I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. When new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Was a shield or spear to be seen among the 40,000 of Israel? My heart drives the commanders of Israel who offered themselves willingly among the people. Bless the Lord. Tell of it, O you who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets and who walk by the way, the sound of musicians at the watering places where they repeat the righteous triumphs of the Lord, the righteous triumphs of his villages in Israel. Then down to the gates march the people of the Lord. Awake, awake, Deborah, awake, awake, break out in song. Arise, Barak, lead away your captives, O son of Abinoam. Then down marched the remnant of the nobles. The people of the Lord marched down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim they marched down into the valley. Following you, Benjamin, with your kinsmen, from Machia marched down the commanders, and from Zebulun, those who bear the lieutenant's staff. The princes of Issachar came with Deborah, and Issachar faithful to Barak. Into the valley they rushed at his heels among the clans of Reuben. There were great searchings of heart. Why did you sit among the sheep fields to hear the whistling of the flocks? Among the clans of Reuben there was great searching of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan and Dan. Why did he stay with the ships? Asher sat still at the coast of the sea, staying by his landings. Zebulun is a people who risk their lives even to death. Naphtali too, on the heights of the field. The kings came, they fought, then fought the kings of Canaan at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. They got no spoils of silver. From heaven the stars fought, from their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent Kishon swept them away, the ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. March on my soul with might. The loud beat the horse's hooves with galloping, galloping of his steeds. Curse Meroz, says the angel of the Lord. Curse its inhabitants thoroughly, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. Most blessed of women, Bejael, the wife of Heba the Canaanite, of tent-dwelling woman, most blessed. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She set her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank, he fell, he lay still. Between her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell, dead. Out of the window she peered, the mother of Sisera wailed through the lattice. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the hoofbeats of his chariots? Her wisest princess answers, indeed, she answers herself. Have they not found and divided the spoil? A womb or two for every man? Spoil of dyed materials of Sisera. Spoil of dyed materials embroidered. Two pieces of dyed work embroidered for the neck as spoil. 
So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as it rises in his might. And the land had rest for forty years. This early poem depicts the Lord as a storm god who marches out from Mount Sinai near Edom to wage warfare upon Israel's enemies. As he hurls lightning bolts towards his foes to secure the victory for Israel, the mountains and earth shake and tremble. Prior to his intervention, Israel had abandoned the Lord and chose new gods. In other words, they imitated the worship practices of their Canaanite neighbours. Israel's pursuit of their mimetic idols brought them into rivalry with one another, generating mimetic violence described as war within the gates of the city. The violence and lawlessness of Israel forced travellers to sneak down back roads lest they be violently assaulted and robbed on the main highway. Under Deborah's rule as a mother, Israel is self-destructing, but a desire for glory inspires Israel's captains and an army to band together and fight against their oppressors. With glorious flourish and royal pomp, Deborah and Barak are described as nobly leading the people into battle. Mimetic violence rages, depicted as the stars fighting on Israel's behalf and the floods of water drowning their enemies. While this cosmic imagery replaces the graphic violence of Israel's warfare, Jael's slaughter of Sisera is recounted in all its gory detail. The stylistic differences in the reporting of these two accounts in the very same text may be explained through mimetic theory. As we have seen throughout our studies of the Pentateuch, the scriptures often project mimetic violence onto the Lord rather than the people who are actually caught in the midst of that cycle of violence. For example, in the Exodus narrative, Israel's victory over Pharaoh and his army is described as the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds drowning him and his chariots. Now in Judges chapter 5, we see a similar image of this Tanakh water washing over and drowning the armies of Sisera. By these means, the army's destruction of Sisera and his forces is projected onto God and depicted as a supernatural act. Mimetic theorists have noticed that this process is common because violence tends to drop out of original myths and rituals and is replaced by supernatural imagery, as we've seen in this text and in the Exodus narrative. But we don't see this same process happen in Jael's slaughter of Sisera. Why? Because she is a foreigner. There's no reason to cover over her gruesome violence because it doesn't embarrass the people of Israel. The fact that Jael is a foreigner allows the people to reenact and celebrate her gruesome violence without having to feel guilty about it. Because after all, it wasn't them who did it. It was this foreigner, Jael. Interestingly, we don't see this process with the other judges either. For example, Ehud's killing of King Eglon is celebrated again in a rather gruesome manner. How come this violence is not covered over and replaced with cosmic imagery? Well, because the judges are scapegoats. For this reason, the text projects all of the community's mimetic violence onto these judges. By these means, the community of Israel are absolved from all personal responsibility, 
which means there's no need to project the violence onto the Lord. In a sense, the judges play the same role as the Lord as the people load their sins and transgressions and violence onto these local tribal heroes. Having relived this traumatic scene, we then cut to a vision of Sisera's mother mourning for her son, which juxtaposes Deborah's earlier self-description as the mother of Israel. While Deborah revels in Israel's victory, Sisera's mother languishes in the defeat of her son. The poem then concludes with the words, So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might. In other words, may Israel always be empowered by the Lord of mimetic rivalry as they destroy their enemies. Thanks again for joining me on the Mimetic Exegete podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you may do so on the Mimetic Exegete Facebook group. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you.